That brings us to our text in John 15, and we're going to just look at the first four verses this morning. Um, We read verses 1 through 11, and periodically through the year, you'll hear uh, different messages on these 11 verses uh, through the year. We're kind of entering a new phase in the, the family life of the church. We realize that church family is created through the gospel. For five years, we've been focusing just on the gospel. You can go back and look at all the messages, and it's all been related to the gospel in some way. We've even looked through the hardest studying of my life through Ecclesiastes, right, Pastor Ralph? Uh, get an amen. If you, uh, I don't know where he went, ran off to. There he is. Lyle is covering him up. That's hard to do, but... <laughs> But, uh, man, I tell you, hardest study of my life going through Ecclesiastes. But looking how the gospel influences our life, even through the book of Ecclesiastes, we see Christ and the gospel at work. And that's what we've been doing, is is the reality is, is we are a family because of the work of Christ on the cross. The good news that he, what he did for us, Without the gospel, we really are nothing. And, and next week, we get to continue to see this family life unfold through the gospel. And we're going to see some testimonies, some more baptisms as God is growing the church and as God is doing work. And we're seeing the gospel take effect in the family life of the church. And it's such a blessing. But we're moving into a new phase. And, and what do we do with the gospel? And the gospel really uh, is meant to be carried out through all phases of our life continually, not to be put down or not to just sit down and wait for the Lord's return. He actually is wants to work in us and through us. That's why there's not a mistake in the Bible when you hear in Christ or through Christ or by Christ. You will always hear those terms in describing our relationship with the Lord and what the Lord is doing through us and in us and by his wonderful work. So we want to look at what what does God have for our body? Now that we're beginning to become this family of God through the gospel, what do we do now? So for the next five to ten years, we're going to be focusing on fruit-bearing family. We're not going to be just a family but being a fruit-bearing family or bearing fruit together as a family of God. And what does bearing fruit mean? What is that expectation that God has for us? And does God have an expectation for us? And it is yes. The beautiful thing, it's his expectation, and it's all based on his work. You're like, yeah, but we're still held accountable to allow God to work So we're going to talk about this in different aspects over the next few years. All the ministries, all the things that we're doing is going to be funneled through this idea of of bearing fruit. And are we bearing fruit? And that is a good question. And how can we bear fruit? What will that look like? How will we do that? So let's look at the text this morning. And before we do, let's pray. And we'll just read the first four again and look at this wonderful parable that is trying to teach us about our walk with God. Lord, 
We pray that you would help us to clearly see and identify the importance of what you want us to do with the gift that you've given us, being grafted into the body of Christ, that you have saved us from our sins, that you have adopted us into your family. What does that mean? What does that look like? How can that impact our church for the next how many years it takes for us to continue to grow in this idea of bearing fruit? Help us as we, as we try to funnel all of this through these truths, how our church should look, uh, the things that we do may be purposeful and proactive in the idea of allowing you to bear fruit through the church family. Lord, so may as, as a whole, as a structure, as, as what you have created in this church family, may we look at bearing fruit. And as we look at our lives individually, how you want to use us, may we honor you and, and let this bearing fruit principle instruct our individual uh, things in our life and may it apply to us in our walk with you. So Lord, we ask that you would teach us now. May we humbly present ourselves to you to learn from you this morning through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A wise man once said, as we read these first four verses, uh, if you've ever, you've ever read Warren Wiersbe, he always has the B series. Uh, that's his commentary or his Bible studies, the B. All the things that God is teaching us through his word is that we be like Christ or we, we pattern our life after God's word to be more like Christ. And all, a lot of theologians have said this, not just Warren Wiersbe, but he said really the important part of a parable is the main point. If you tried to dissect all of the parable and look at different aspects of it apart from the main point, you don't get the point. And we don't want to miss the point. So this morning it's very broad. It's very, we're going to look at the, the concepts or the three important figures in this parable so we don't miss the point. Um, we're not going to do a deep dive in a lot of the theological aspects of this text. If you want to get really into the deep, deep dive of this, uh, we can talk about it uh, for weeks to come after each of these services that we talk about bearing fruit. Um, so don't be disappointed if I don't uh, try to answer the theological question of those, uh, you know, those that are saved and unsaved, because we're going to look at the main point of the parable, not all the different theological aspects that you can chase out of this text. So that's my, my little caveat before we get started. But let's look at the main point. Verse 1, it says, talking about Christ, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he, clean, he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. We see in this context, you realize that Jesus is sharing this with his disciples. The context is not, he's not talking to a, a large group of unbelievers or people that are 
learning from just any old teacher. This is Christ in the upper room continuing in the discourse of teaching the disciples, actually in the sense of preparing the disciples. The, the context is the night before the crucifixion. This is the night before he would die. He has been, uh, you realize that if you think about this, he, he is up to this point, he has been everything that the disciples have needed for the last three years. He is their everything, and he knows that in a day to come, he is going to be trans, basically being transformed onto the cross to pay for our sins and transform to glory, and he's, transform, or he's, he's transferring leadership into them through the power of the Holy Spirit to go and do the work that Christ has prepared for them. There's a whole transfer of leadership beginning to happen. He realizes that they've utterly depended on him, and now he's going to be gone, and then what? If you've ever been taken care of by somebody, then all of a sudden, you know, everything, they've been your everything, and then now they're gone, right? It's kind of like at the Decker house this, this weekend. I couldn't help but thinking about it all weekend because Anissa flew and flew the coop and, you know, went and decided she didn't want to be mom. She wanted to be grandmom. So she flew down to uh, California and watching the grandson. And before you ask how she's doing, I don't know because she's been playing with grandson the whole time. <laughs> but we've missed her. The, the organization of the house has been drastically different since mom has been gone, right? Dad is great, but dad is not everything. Dad may have authority over a lot of things, but dad does not do everything. It's very apparent at her house. We have needed the cell phones ever the more since mom has been gone. What's going on? What are you doing? How are things going? We've missed the leadership in the home. Yeah, but, you know, praise the Lord. You know, that's the beauty of when I was younger, in my younger age, when, and when my kids were younger, it was easy. You know, everybody was shocked. You know, it was like, I'll never forget when the former pastor's wife, um, her husband had passed away, and, but she was still in the church, and I was pastoring the church, and she was like the grandma of the church, a lot like we called, you know, Pastor Ralph, the grandpa of the church. She kind of just grandmothered the whole church. She watched my kids, and she took care of the kids, and I'll never forget the day that she popped into our house. She knocked on the door. I opened the door. She had a, a mop and a bucket and some cleaning supplies. And, and I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, I came to clean the house. And I'm like, why? And she goes, because I know Anissa's coming home today. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I said, well, come on in. And she looked around the house, and she goes, it's, it's clean. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know. Mom, mom is coming home. We've been cleaning the house every day since mom left. So that way when mom comes home, it's clean, right? And we all know the most important thing that's clean in the house is the dishes, right? We, you know, the, the kitchen is clean so she can get back to cooking. So, you know, she hates walking, especially our house, because the first thing you see is the dishes when you walk into our house. But she came in, and she couldn't believe everything was clean. She goes, what happened? And I'm like, well, I love my wife. She goes, it's obvious. But you know what? 
it ain't that way anymore. <laughs> I'm like, what happened? You know, we have six kids now, and, and everything is happening, and I don't have the energy. They're, I just, 9 o'clock, I have to go to bed. They're like, my brain just shuts down, my body shuts down. It doesn't work that way. We need, we need mom at home. You know, and here's the thing is, is the disciples, they don't realize what's coming. They don't realize how much they need Christ. This is what's coming as he teaches this principle to his disciples. This transfer of leadership. They don't understand the events that are about to transpire, but Christ knows. He knows what they need. He's, gonna, he's teaching them how they will be effective in ministry. He's teaching them how they're going to be, how in the world are they going to be prolific? How are they going to expand the ministry that God has given them? Jesus knows. He's teaching them. He's reminding them. This is how you will produce fruit. This is how you're going to be effective. This is how you will be dynamic. This is like the leadership guru of the day. You know, everybody is going to Stanford. They go to this school or that school, the school of leadership. How can we be better and more effective in leadership so we can be more productive? Jesus knows that this is what's happening. They, he knows that they're his disciples. He knows that they're saved. He knows that they're a part of the family of God. And he goes, this is what you need to know now moving forward. Just like the disciples need to know how they're going to be effective. We as a church family need to understand how are we going to be effective in the ministry? How are you going to be effective carrying the gospel? How are you going to be effective in relationships in church? How are you going to be effective in, in relation in building the ministry that God has for you? John 15 is strategic. The parable of the vine and the vine dresser and the vine grower and, and the branches is, is strategic and pivotal for the church and us individually. We see this in three important figures. Verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. So here are these ones. The vine is Jesus. He identifies himself as the genuine vine, the true vine, the genuine vine the only source of spiritual fruit. If you've ever read through, and you understand that all through the Old Testament, Jesus and, well, Jesus and God has been talking about the vine, and he's talking about uh, the, vine, the vineyards, and he's talking about grapes, and he's talking about the fruit of the vine, and he's talking about Israel as a vine. The problem is, is, is Israel had heard that they're a vine, and they thought of themselves as being vital and important. They had missed the whole point of the vine all through the Old Testament, and they saw themselves as the true vine of the world. And Jesus is, is helping the disciples to realize that it's sometimes, don't we think that way, that we're the vine, we're, we're really important. But he says this very important statement that I am the true vine. If you've ever studied the Gospels, you know that especially in John, he makes these important statements of the I am statements. I am this. I am God. I am 
the vine. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. Right? He says, I am, and he always says it with an important truth. It's important for us to identify and realize that it is Christ that is the true vine. If you understand anything about it, the vine is really important. And the person that tends the vine is really important. But everything flows through the vine. The branches that come off the vine aren't as important as the vine. Because the vine is connected to everything that is important. It provides support. It provides everything. That's what Jesus is identifying. Zechariah 6.12 talks about the, the branches and the vine. Also in, we see it in Isaiah chapter 4. Um, there's just uh, text after text talking about the, the vine that was to come, but Israel missed it. And he wants to remind them that I am the vine, and there's real importance to this. If in him we receive life and nutrients, Christ is the resource and the nutrients that we need in life. Everything needed for life and godliness comes by and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Spiritual fruit can't be produced in our life, and the spiritual fruit that he's talking about in the fact that he wants us to bear fruit, whether it's in verse 6, verse 8, verse 11, all these things that he wants to produce through us cannot happen except through the vine. You know that if you chop off the grapes, as soon as you chop off grapes from the vine, they begin to rot. They begin to wither. Um, you know, many, you know, you, you put it out in, you stick them out in the sun and you dry them out and you take all the moisture out of them and they become raisins. They become shriveled up and some, some people like them and some people don't, right? I like raisins, but they should not be in anything else. Right? I don't like flies in my, my cinnamon rolls. I just I haven't quite figured out. It's a big debate in our family. Flies or no flies. That's, we're talking about raisins in our, in our cinnamon rolls. I just, you know, I don't like the savory. I just want all the sweet, gooey, you know, brown sugar and butter. The more of brown sugar and butter, the better the cinnamon roll. Who needs frosting? And Donald's is like, oh, man, yeah, a heart attack waiting to happen. Yep, I know. <laughs> But here's the thing, the spiritual fruit, it talks about becoming like Christ, being Christ-like. The vine is Christ. The other thing we see in this is he goes on to say, and my father is the vine grower. Your translation may be the vine dresser, or, you know, but in the newer, in a lot of the NASB or the ESV, it's the vine dresser, but it's, it's literally the vine grower. The vine grower, that's God the Father, is pictured as the owner who is busy actively, faithfully being the gardener, working in his vineyard. God is the vine grower. He's the one that, that's planted the vine. Uh, he's the one that, is, that identifies the vine. He's the one that dresses the vine. He's the one that takes care of the vine. He prunes the vine. He, he is the one that makes it grow. It's important to understand this as we look at this, as we think about bearing fruit in our life, becoming Christ-like, or being fruitful in the ministry. What does that look like? We need to understand it's, it's God that does all the work. 
He's the one that planted the vine. Without God, there is no work being done. Isaiah chapter 5, Jeremiah 2, Hosea 10. It's all rooted back in the Old Testament that we know that God is planting a vineyard. We see it even in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. I love these verses. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not uh, so now, not only in my present, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It means let it, those, your salvation spread out into the everyday activities of your life. That's literally what the text is saying. This is work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. This is the vine grower. It's describing, this text is describing the vine grower. God is working out his will. He is dressing the vine. And you know what dressing the vine entails, right? If, if a branch is too low... What's going to happen? It can wither and die. The fruit's not going to grow. It's going to be in the dirt. It's going to be in the mud. The, the, the animals can come and take it. It can become diseased. It can, the insects can, can, can hurt it. And so the vine dresser comes, and we know, living here in Whatcom County, everything that's happening right now with all the berry bushes, right? They're pulling all the vines up. They're dressing them. They're, they're, they're tending to them. They're, they're reattaching them to the main vine so they're not draped on the ground where they're going to be trampled on so that they will produce fruit. Not only do they get lifted up and reattached, but they get pruned back, right? Uh, I remember when dealing with all of our, our vine type things, you know, our, our raspberries and whatnot. We're like, where did all the raspberries go? And somebody's like, well, well, did you tend to the vines? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Don't they just grow? And, you know, me being, you know, raspberry illiterate, never grew raspberries before, and I didn't know what, what we were supposed to do. And I started watching all of these fields. I'm like, oh, there's a reason why they all look, you know, like little crooks and hoops and circles, and they're, they're dressing the vines. That's what God does. He's the owner of the vineyard. He's the planter of the vineyard. He's the one that's dressing the vines. He's the one that's pruning us to work for his will and his good pleasure. That's what Ephesians 2.10 is all about, Right? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. When we've been grafted into the vine, we were created and given life through Christ Jesus for good works, to produce something which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When he planted us into the vine, he had a purpose to bring glory to him, to bear fruit. And we see... Thirdly, the branches. We're talking about these branches that grow off of the vine. If they're not tended, they have problems. Branches are talking about the genuine believers, people that are actually in Christ. It describes a relationship in which a believer receives the full benefit and union with Christ. 
That's, that's the whole idea is, is the, the vine dresser. God is going around making sure that as believers that we have the full benefit of being in the vine. The true believer describes a relationship in which a believer receives the full, full benefit from the Lord. Here, not only are, is he describing our position that's in Christ that we didn't do, he actually attached us to the vine when he saved us. That's not something that we did, but it's our position that's in Christ. But he's also talking about production. This is where it gets important. I believe this is where a lot of churches struggle. This is where a lot of individuals, we struggle. We are always, we think, oh, you know, being a believer, being a Christian, I got to do a bunch of good things. I'm going to do, and my whole relationship with God is dependent on how good I am. I'm going to go out and I'm going to read through the Bible in a year, and then I fail and, and I'm going to do it again, and I fail, and then I stop doing it all together, because why? I keep failing. I can't do that, so I'm going to find something else I'm good at, right? And then we go, and like, well, all these things, and we go through the church, right? And you're like, oh, I'm going to go to the church nursery. That'll be, that'll be easy. I can succeed at that. I'm going to be a good Christian. And then you're like, whoa, I'm not good with babies. <laughs> you're like, ah, this is not for me. And then I'm going to teach a toddler class. And wow, you know, I'm, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be this teacher. Whoa, they're energetic. I don't have that much energy. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go do, I know, I'll be, the, I'll be a janitor. You know, when I was said, you know, I want to go do, I'm going to want to go work in the church. I want to do church ministry. I think God's calling me to be a, be a missionary. You know what, my, I, and my youth pastor, you know what he did? He said, oh, great, you want to be a, you want to work in the youth group? I'm like, yeah. He goes, great. He says, show up on Saturday and, and we'll start working towards being, uh, uh, you know, working with the youth group and being a, a missionary and pastor. I'm like, great, I'm looking forward to it. I showed up, nice pair of clothes, right, because I'm going to, you know, need to dress like a pastor. Nice pair of clothes. I show up Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, prompt, got my Bible, got my notepad, I'm ready to go, and we're going to study. And he handed me a mop in a bucket. He says, go be, go, go be the janitor. I'll pay $50 a month. And, and I'm like, what? And I'm like, you, I thought I was coming to become a pastor. And he goes, you are. Go see how you do as being a janitor first. He said, if you can survive being a janitor, then you can do any ministry in the church. <laughs> We go through our life focusing on what we can produce, and we go and do everything else, and we, we fail miserably because we never feel good. We never feel satisfied. We're always focusing on, on me. But frankly, we're not good. Apart from the vine, verse 4, says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I am him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from the vine, we can do nothing. But we do that. Churches do that all the time. We, we try to do a bunch of good things, and we spin our wheels. And I know we'll do this program. That'll attract a lot of people. And that fails. And, oh, we'll do this thing, and we'll do this thing, and we focus. And it's not that doing things are wrong. It's just that we try to do only, we focus on things that we're good at. And I'm only going to do it if I'm good at it. 
There, there are four kinds of branches here. Did you notice in verse 2? There are those who don't bear fruit. There are those who bear fruit. There are those who bear more fruit. And in verse 5 and 8 in, in, in chapter 15, there are those who produce much fruit. Right? And it says the vine grower and, and every branch that's in me that does not bear fruit, he, he takes away. In the Greek, take away literally means he takes away, he brings up, he, he builds up. Um, it's not the same as what he's talking about later on and when he prunes and he cuts off the dead branches and he throws them into the fire. But he says here that he, he lifts them up and every branch that bears fruit he cleans, which in your text it might say that he prunes so that it might bear more fruit. So you, there's two basic principles that we see here. First, all dead wood must be ruthlessly removed, right? <laughs> That's what she's been doing at our house for the last two years, chopping off dead wood. <laughs> she's like, you know, that plant will be much healthy if you just cut it off. And she did. She cut this big old monstrosity down, and now it's back to being twice the size of what it was before she cut it. But first of all, all dead wood must go. The second thing we is the live wood must be cut back drastically. It must be cleaned up. If it's not tended and cleaned up, it's not going to bear more fruit. There's two basic things. Why? Why is this so important? Think about it. Dead wood harbors insects. Where all the, where all the insects go? The dead wood. Where all the disease happen? The dead wood. Uh, you know, and it may cause the vine to rot. It's unproductive, unsightly, will not bear fruit. We have a plum tree, right? And it has that, you know, you get the little black spots. And what do you, you know, and it's, it's rot. And, and it's a disease, and it'll spread through all the thing. And, you, and uh, we brought an arborist over, and he, he says, lop that off. <laughs> he took the whole branch, the whole thing. And he cut it, he just drastically lopped it. And I mean, so the, the, the rot was here, and he cut it like way back here. Here's the idea is, is because it's, it's going to kill the whole thing. That's why. The other thing is, is why prune back live wood? Because it must be in order to prevent such a heavy growth of foliage that the actual vine doesn't produce fruit. That can happen with grapes. It can keep growing. The branch can grow so everywhere that it's so heavy that it actually takes all the energy, all the nutrition, and just to keep the branch alive, that it doesn't actually produce any fruit. That's the point that God's trying to get across when he says here that the branches need to be pruned. We don't like that too much. Pruning is, you know, I, I'll, you know, I remember when we first started cutting back our trees at our house. Not just our house here in, you know, off of North Star, but when we lived in California. I love plants. I always worked with plants. I don't work with trees and those kind of things. But I asked Anissa one day, I said, why don't you go out and, you know, trim the tree? Trim the tree. I came home. I'm like, where's the tree? <laughs> I was like, you are not allowed to prune anything anymore. No trimming for you. Man, that tree came back so beautiful. I was like, okay. After about a year, I had to eat my words. It looked gorgeous. It was wonderful. Man, I, so I don't, I, don't, 
I don't deal with the, the trimming. Anissa tells me everything to do with the trimming. She just, she lops it all off. And, it, and we grow so much fruit now. The more she lops off, the more fruit we end up having. There's a principle in that is that all the energy that comes from the roots go into producing the fruit. God prunes the branches. God prunes us, puts us through the trials, through the suffering, through the stuff in our life. He cuts back even the live portion in our life. Sometimes it's the things that we like, and he cuts it back so we can benefit from the life-giving and nurturing from the Lord, the life from Christ, so that way we actually produce his fruit. Sometimes we're too big for our britches. We need to go on a branch diet. You know, thin it back out so we can actually be actively producing fruit. The challenge here is the main point. Abide in Christ. If you haven't noticed in, in chapter 15, it's 10 times in these verses, abide in me. Abide in the vine. Abide in Christ. This is the whole point of this parable, abide in Christ. His emphasis is not on being labeled a Christian. Sometimes we focus living our whole life to, so that way everybody will know that we're a Christian. And we build a moral, upright life. And you're saying, well, Pastor, I thought that was a good thing. Yeah, it is good, but that doesn't produce fruit. Abiding in Christ in the vine produces fruit. The point is, is not building a big church with a big structure that can produce a lot of ministries. The goal of the church is to abide in Christ. This is the whole point. God wants us to be productive through him, in him, by him. The challenge given to unbelievers, people that don't know the Lord, is to believe on Christ. The challenge here that God is giving to the disciples and he's giving to us as a church is to the believer is to bear fruit for Christ. It's not about how good you are and all the good abilities you have. It's actually abiding in Christ. Now both, now the idea of here bearing fruit in verse 4, abide in me and in you as the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. The idea of bearing or the word bear, it's, uh, it's a, the participle bear is a present tense. So it's referring to a continually producing and a habitual pattern of producing fruit. In other words, every year fruit keeps coming back. Every year the vine dresser, God, you know, tends to his vine through Christ, and he's, and he's pruning us back, and, and we habitually, continually bear fruit. In other words, every, everybody that is in Christ as a believer, that branch that continually does not bear fruit will be taken away by the Father. Every in Christ branch, everyone who's a believer in Christ that continually does bear fruit will be pruned by the Father to continually bear more fruit. You're like, what fruit? Well, to be more Christ-like. Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. Fruit of 
the deep knowledge of growth and service that he talks about in Colossians 1.10. Fruit of seeing others saved and growing through outreach, Romans 1.13. Fruit of victory over sin, Romans chapter 6. All of these things that God produces through the vine. The idea is this. When it means abide in Christ, the word abide means to remain in Christ, to rest in Christ, and to rely on Christ. To remain in Christ, rest in Christ, to rely on Christ. To remain in Christ is to live with Christ, to make home with Christ, to have a habitation with Christ, to walk with Christ, to crave Christ, to have a close communion and fellowship with Christ. That's what he was talking about in Colossians chapter 1. Is to remain in Christ. We need to be in the vine. If we separate ourselves and try to do a bunch of things and to be good, we're not going to produce godly fruit. We're just going to produce stuff that's going to weigh us down and break the branches. God desires us to produce Godly fruit. And we need to remain in him. This is the whole point of producing godly fruit, is to remain in Christ, to focus on Christ. The idea of rest there is to be strengthened by Christ. To rest in Christ means to be strengthened by Christ, to draw strength from the vine. In Psalm 37, verse 7, be still. You know that word still in the Hebrew means to to be still means to find rest in the Lord. To be still doesn't mean to just be a statue. To be still is to have rest before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices, but to find rest in the Lord. Isaiah thirty-two seventeen, And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness is quietness, and trust forever. You know what the word quietness and trust in the Hebrew means? Rest. Quietness in your soul or rest in your soul. To abide in Christ means to remain faithfully in Christ. To run after Christ and to find rest in your soul in Christ. The other thing that abide means is to rely on. We rely on Christ. He is divine. All the nutrients, all the strength. He is the one that's going to hold us up. Without Christ, we are going to break off. We're going to wither up and dry up. No matter how good you are, we cannot produce good fruit apart from Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. The idea is, is be rooted in him and rely on him. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's relying. We have confidence that we can rely and we will find grace at the throne of God. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The, the vine grower, the vine dresser, God is going to tend the vine. We can be confident in that. Abide in Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, 
I've been, I've been cut off from the world as a branch, but Christ who lives in me. I've been grafted into the vine, and it's now his life-giving blood from the vine that flows through me. Paul says, And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The vine is the life-giving blood that produces fruit in our life. Brings us to 2 Corinthians 3.18. Some of you might be familiar with this. If you've done biblical counseling, this is like a major theme. How, do our, how does our life grow and change? Only through Christ. Only through the Lord. Verse 18, it says, And we all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord. The idea here is, is the more we behold or we grasp on to the glory of God, it says this happens, and that we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We are being sanctified and, and we are being grown into the image of Christ. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Or this comes through the Lord by the Spirit of God working in us. How do we transformed? How are we to produce fruit as a church and as an individual? It's by abiding in Christ. Abide in Christ to attach ourselves to him, to cling to him, to draw all our strength from him, to look to him, to sustain us. The more we submit to God, the more pruning, the more fruit. You want to be fruitful? Abide in Christ. Long for Christ, crave for Christ, draw your strength from Christ. It is God who is the one that does the work in our life. He is the vine dresser. The more we abide, you understand the, the principle in this parable, the more we abide in Christ, the more fruit. There are those who aren't bearing fruit, those who bear little fruit, there are those that are dead, those who aren't bearing fruit, there's those who are bearing more fruit, and those who bear much fruit. That's the question. Are you bearing any fruit? Do you see any fruit that is in the image of God? I'm not talking about good deeds, love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, all the things that are the character of God. Because he's the vine. And it's his life-giving blood that flows into us, that produces that fruit. We need to be fruit-bearing church. But the question is, is, do you even see fruit in your life? If you don't see fruit, then that begs to differ. Are you even in the vine? Because if you're not in the vine you won't produce godly fruit. Are you saved? There are those, we know in the, uh, that in the end, God will have all the people before him and they'll say, and they say, you know, they'll say, yes, you are Lord and you are Savior. And, and he says, I never, I don't know you. You're cast in the outer darkness. In the Gospel of Luke, he talks about the fact there are those that say, yeah, I know you. But Jesus says, I don't know you. You haven't been grafted into the vine. There are many that say, I know God, but there are, there are those that don't realize 
they have never been grafted into the vine. They're not saved. They're not believers. You know that you're a believer by fruit. Love one another with a brotherly love, so showing and proving that you are my disciples because you bear much fruit. Verse 11, these things that I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete or full. Joy is fruit. Are you being pruned as a believer? Maybe you're struggling and you're worried about the struggle that you're facing in your life. Maybe you're going through a struggle. Maybe God is pruning you. It's drastic. So that way you can produce his fruit. Right? James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face many trials of various kinds. Because why? Because it'll produce something. When patience has its full effect, you'll be perfect, lacking nothing. We all face various trials. We all face struggles. Right? In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Don't despise the disciplining of the Lord. He disciplines who he loves. He's disciplining, and he says, so that way we will bear. Look at that. He, he brings in the vine, right, in that passage. So you will bear fruit. He disciplines, not discipline as punishment. He disciplines training us in godliness and his righteousness. The main point is this. We have to abide in Christ as a church or we will just be spinning our wheels. We need to be a part of the vine. We need to be focused on what is the vine doing. How are we focusing on running to Christ in our everyday life? Otherwise, as a church, we will be just doing a bunch of things. We don't want to be spinning a bunch of plates. We, we want to be about, we want to allow God to, to plant many branches into the vine. We want the church to be a place where he can prune the vine, or prune the branches that are connected to the vine so that fruit continually being produced through the church. Are we a fruit-bearing church that is abiding in Christ? That is the question. That is the desire. That is what we want to be, to be a part of Christ, not a part of our desire, our wants, our feelings, our emotions. That will always cause us to run from Christ. You want to be able to handle those things, be grafted in Christ, to be rooted in Christ, run to Christ, love Christ, cherish Christ, all of those things. Find everything that comes from Christ. All of your life is Christ. The truth of your life is in Christ. Everything is found in Christ. Without Christ, we can do nothing. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. But those who are apart from me can do nothing. The world pulls us apart from Christ. God brings us back to Christ. The Holy Spirit brings us to Christ. God's word brings us to Christ. All the fruit is to be like Christ. 
What kind of fruit are you producing in your life? These are all the questions that we need to be answering in our life and in the life of the church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this parable. We thank you that you are the vine dresser, that it's all about your work, that you're the one that plants, you're the one that grows the vine. We, we don't build a big trellis of events and things to grow the church. You are the one that planted the church. You're the one that saves people. You're the one that transforms life. And apart from Christ, we really don't have any strength. We don't have any purpose. We can't transform our lives. We can't deal with our sin. Lord, I pray that if those that are here that are part of the family of God, that are a part of the vine, that are saved, that, that you have brought into the family of God, and that are struggling with sin in their life, that you would help them to realize that they would submit to your pruning, that they would run back to Christ at all costs, that they would grow and rely, remain and rely and find great rest in Christ, to abide in Christ. May they answer that question and, and look at their life, and may we really, as a church, wrestle with that and say, am I abiding in Christ? Am I devoted to Christ? And so, Lord, it's not just being devoted to good things, but devoted to the one who is good, and produces all good things, that we would see your godly fruit being produced through our church family, through our lives, that we become more and more like you and less and less like this world. Lord, I pray that it would be our desire to have more of you and less of this world. May that be our desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.